Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tell with 2D. I'm here today with Tevin Kito. He is an amazing podcaster, too, and he has an amazing story. He's joining us from London. Hi, Tevin. How are you? Hello, hello, everybody. I'm very well. Thank you, Susie. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to talk to you today. It's going to be fun. You know, guys, he has something that is super cool. Is targeting uh, black entrepreneurship, which I think is super, super important around the world. And it's a movement that is, is being super aware. And I love it. I think it's super cultural and super awesome. And he has a podcast. He, he's the creator of a podcast called A Thousand Voices. But behind that, there is a cute story that I love. And I was so fascinated by it. But I want him to, to um, talk to us about it. So... His uh, family ancestry is from Ghana, but he was born in London. So, Tevin, can you tell us a little bit how I was growing up in the UK? Uh, yeah, first of all, thank you for bringing me onto the podcast. Thank you for that warm intro, um, and I'm excited to speak with you as well. Um, but yeah, so it's growing up in the UK, it's um, I, I don't know. It's like it's hard to compare it to something else because I've been born here and grew up here my whole life. It's all I know. Um, on my side, so I grew up in East London, uh-huh. in a place called Leytonstone. So if you're not from the UK, if you're not from London, you've probably never heard of it, but it's in East <laughs> London. I grew up there with my mum my two younger brothers. Uh, the area itself was, you know, sort of like a typical story you might hear, maybe same in the US, like it's a, a lot of crime, a um, bit of a poorer area. Um, but that's the sort of area I grew up in. And... Um, but although I feel that, you know, although, you know, the area might have been all sorts of whatever happened in the area, you always sort of feel safe where you grew up because it's home. Um, and that was home to me. That's what I knew. That's all I knew. All I knew was what I was exposed to. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, gang stuff, a lot of crime, a lot of this, a lot of that. I didn't necessarily get involved in that side of things, um, probably because my mom was very strict and <laughs> just made it difficult, like. I, was I guess the, the black the mamas are just strict all over the world. <laughs> literally, literally. I, I, I was the kid, yeah, that I'm out of my friends. You know, my mom is calling my phone off and I'm just embarrassed. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone else is out, my mom's calling me and I've got to go home. And then, yeah, so I didn't get involved in too many things like that. But um, it's pretty similar to Hispanic's mom. My mom is, I'm terrified of her, don't tell her. but I guess it's good in a way because it helps you to sort of stay out of trouble you know stay on on the right path grounds you yeah for real for real so um but yeah that's what sort of like the area was like I grew up in so you grew up in a very impacted area but you saw um you have such a a structured and grounded environment growing up that it kind of keeps you away and focused on what you wanted to achieve further down in life yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've always, my uh, my mom, so although I didn't grow up with my dad, my dad was, you know, sort of in my life um, growing up. And I've all, my, both my parents, my dad, have both always encouraged me to be, you know, to encourage me to be whatever I wanted to be. Or actually, they've encouraged me, they've always told me I can do whatever I want to do. They've and said, you can be successful in whatever you want to do. Although they tried to steer me down um you know those like medicine law type <laughs> careers uh which i, I didn't that. really want to do that one. <laughs> yeah. which i didn't necessarily want to do but they always told me that and then i've always grown up believing even until now i've always just believed that 
whatever I set my mind to, I can do it. And so I guess in a way I've had sort of a vision that maybe not everybody had that same kind of vision. They might not have had the same sort of upbringing, same sort of encouragement. Um, but I've always believed, you know, I, I'll, this is where I am now is not necessarily where I'm going to end up. Um, Such an amazing energy life. is that. I think it's an amazing principle. And I applaud you for that. So for someone who's never been in the UK, how is it like? Someone oh, like me. UK. The UK is cold. <laughs> cold? It's all the not, time cold? No, I mean, you guys have seasons, right? Yeah, no, it's getting a bit warmer now, actually. So what, we're in, we're in March. I finally starting to get a bit warmer. I feel like it's been so cold over the past few months. But, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's... How do I even explain the UK? It's... Um, I feel in the UK, there's a culture of a lot of people not telling you what they really think or feel. So you can, you can get a lot of fakeness. Oh my God. I think that's something around the world. You know, that's something so sh shocking to me, Kevin, coming here to America uh, from um, Colombian, you know, growing up. And as Hispanics, we're very passionate, right? Very direct and outspoken. And we are raised in a culture of saying what you feel, not bothering anything up. So it, it could be shocking for other people because everything that we, our emotions are on our sleeves, put it that way. So, um, but the good thing about it is that you know exactly where you stand, right? Everywhere mm. you go, uh, in all types of the spectrum. If somebody doesn't like you, that person doesn't like you, you just don't entertain that energy, right? And, mm. and so on and so, so forth. But coming over here, it was so challenging for me because people don't say what they feel mm. at, no. And they just, they just kept you in this realm of assumption or in this, in this existence of thinking that everything is fine when it's not. Like, you might be, example, you might be in a relationship and you think that, you know, you, you go into ups and downs and whatever, and then you think that everything's just fine. And then the other person already broke up with you. <laughs> and you don't even know. Right? <laughs> Little things like that. So you're hanging out with your neighbor. Like, you're saying, hi, whatever. Can I help you here? Can I help you there? And then all of a sudden, you, you don't even know and your neighbor hates you. It's like, <laughs> people don't say what they feel. I find that, and, and this, is, this is a global, I mean, I think this is the pandemic. This is the real <laughs> pandemic. People don't be yeah. honest to what they feel. That's How do you feel about that? Wasn't that challenging or is it that challenging? How is people in, like culturally, like in your culture, because yeah, you were grew up in London, but you know, you, you grew up in the family of, of Africans. So I'm assuming that the energy was different. How was it? How challenging was it? Oh, going out into this environment. Well, yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, the environment at home is definitely very different. People, no one's hiding what they think or feel. <laughs> they, say, they just tell you straight up. And, the um, same. Just got, but as, 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 I prefer that in a way because you know exactly where you stand. Um, yes. It might not always be good what you hear, but at least you know where you stand. Um, stepping out into the real world. I think with myself here, so I'm, I'm a person that, always sort of tries to look for the best in people i always assume the best you know um so it's something i've had to learn over time because i've been duped or done over a few times because someone will tell me something i just believe it um because i'm trying to look for the best in them yeah. uh but then it I'm transpires guilty. down the line yeah <laughs> transpires down the line that oh no wait they were just they weren't being real they were being fake with me 
and trying to take advantage of whatever but it's life lessons i suppose you just learn over time that not everybody has the best intentions and not every not everybody's 100% truthful it's challenging yeah. right is it, you feel betrayed over and over again and then you reach a point that i mean what is it real and what is fake like yeah. am i in the matrix right now i don't know when, yeah. <laughs> what is real and i never took the pill so what is going on here <laughs> on the matrix but when you travel do you see that people are more welcome welcoming towards you mm. That's a good question. I would say I haven't traveled as much as I would like to put it like that. So I've been, when I go to Ghana, I've been there a few times for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, other than that, I haven't been traveled as much as I would like to, but um, I can see the difference in Ghana though. Ghana to the UK, um, the energy is very different. People there are a lot more friendly, I feel. And there's a lot more genuine energy and yes. genuine sort of friendliness. Um, whereas in the UK, sometimes you don't really know where people stand because someone could be friendly with you. You don't know, you know, if it's coming from so, a genuine place or not. Something that I've noticed that when you go into very um, capitalist cultures of first world countries, you know, people is a little more um, arrogant, I would say, a little more proud, I would say. So their approach is a little more dry. As, and, and this is just based on my experience. People don't attack me because I'm just, this is just me, my humble personal experience. Maybe you have an amazing one. Uh, I wouldn't say that I have a bad experience traveling to these big countries, but I will say that people is a little more dry with their approach. As opposed to when I'm in countries that are not as developed, when I'm visiting countries and communities that are not developed, people are is so welcome. They just welcome you in and they just invite you to the house. Like just recently, I um, do some charity here and there. And I recently, um, within the last six months, I uh, visited a family in a very impacted community uh, in uh, my hometown. And the energy was amazing. I brought my daughter and I saw so much. It's like... They share everything that they have. They share their memories. They share whatever food they have in their kitchen. They welcome you in. They, they serve you in the best dishes that they have. They just, it's so welcoming. And it's such a warm, warm energy. And I love it. And as, like, I, I've been in, in, in another small, most little town in Peru, uh, by uh, inside the Andes, I remember. And again, you know, it's this in small indigenous community. It was They were so welcoming. And, and they sit you in the floor and you eat them and they teach you how to eat their food. And it's just so involving. You go to France and you're in France, boy. <laughs> you're just in France. What do you want, girl? <laughs> okay <laughs> here's your bill bye <laughs> mm. yeah i mean mm. you're in italy the same thing like uh you know what i mean it's like i'm just giving you examples of and i you know i feel that we should be more warm i think you know we should be more welcoming and, and see each other's you know as as inviting energies that's the way i look at it definitely, definitely. but you know it's, it's just um oh no sorry to cut you off yes no no please 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 <laughs> I'm just saying it's just um different cultures, I suppose. Like you're saying, in um in the global West capitalist world, people are a lot more cold. I think 
just very generally speaking, the energy is a lot more like, um, okay, I've got to go get it. So let me go and build and do what I've got to do for me and my people, or even just for me and everybody else, you know, everybody else look after yourself. Whereas in other countries, uh, developing countries or whatever you want to term them, but the, the energy is very different. You know, people are more, it's more of a community. Maybe in the sense where it's like everybody's like we're in this together. We're all in the same sort of economic situation. We're all living in similar sort of communities, and we're gonna look out for our people. Yes. Um, so even though they might not have as much money, um, they, they might just be more happy, you know. And then it just goes back to like, what well, is capitalism the right, right way forward? Do we need to be chasing money? I don't, like I don't know. I haven't got the answer, but it's just different cultures, um, and different ways of living. I feel that, you know, and, and speaking by experience, I feel that when you grow up in, in a, a, an impacted environment, is the, is there's such chaos around you, you know? Like, there's a lot of lack of resources in your home, but, and, but there's also so much chaos around you that when you find, you know, your neighbors, it's like they became your family, and they, everybody takes care of each other. I yeah. remember like growing up and nobody had a babysitter growing up in where I grew up. There's, mm. and parents will leave. So whoever mom was a stay-at-home mom at the moment, she will watch out for the neighbor's kids. And they will go and play with her kids in her backyard. And so it was me, me probably playing with, my, with, with the neighbor across the street or the one next door or whatever, but whoever. And we all, all grew up like that. And, and we will play. You know what I mean? And I'm talking about kids. At the moment, I thought it was cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just, but now I'm like, wow, that is, that is a very smart system. And that is a support system. You know what I mean? When something happened in, in that particular community. So the chaos was everywhere. But our street was always safe and everybody was taking care of each other. And that's why community is very important. So like when um, I circle back to when I said when I grew up was so everywhere, there was a lot of crime and everything like that. Um, but something we had was a very strong sense of community. So it's, um, I don't know if, what you'd call it in the US, but maybe the projects or something, but we call it like the council estate basically so it's like counts the local council um owns buildings and then they rent them out cheaply to families that qualify for it and it's to do like income and that kind of thing so low income living yeah so basically something like that basically um but in those kind of areas you usually get a lot of crime Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you get a very, very strong sense of community. Yeah. There's like a community. There's a community center, community center around the corner from where I lived that used to host all sorts of different community events. Like at the community center, do like karate classes, and people go have their parties there. And um, there's always stuff happening there. The community center. Um, on my road, where I grew up, we knew all the neighbors. Every, everybody knows each other by first name. Basically, everybody's talking with each other, um, looking out for each other. And little things, it'll be little things like, let's say we're going away, my mum and my brothers. Um, my mum would tell the neighbours, um, we're going away, uh, look out for our house, that kind of thing. They'll be like, okay, yeah, we'll look out for you. And then if anything happens, we'll, and we'll look into it, we'll call you, blah, blah, blah. Um, you can do things like, we'll go away. Maybe we're going away for a while now. Then my mum will give the car key to one of our neighbours and say, can you spark the car? Because you don't want the battery to go dead or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I've moved out of the area now. <laughs> I wouldn't trust. I wouldn't give my car key to my neighbor and say, can you <laughs> turn my car on or whatever? Because you don't have that same level of community that you had, that I had growing up back then. So I thought community is very important. I think a lot of people, 
won't have access to that, that sort of a community as well. So how was it, how was it growing up in the UK? So you think that you, you, you will feel that you were supported in your community growing up in the UK? Or will you feel that you were, uh, there were spaces that there were no demands, joyful energy? Uh, so in my, so I grew up in uh, Leytonstone, East London. Um, that particular place, I think it was good. The, I definitely had a strong community and I felt supported by the community. Uh, so that was very good. I didn't have much, much, too much exposure to outside of Leytonstone until I got to like college. Maybe I was like 16 when I went to college um, here. So before then, I mean, I'd, I'd been out, of course, but like I hadn't had loads of like proper exposure to outside of Leytonstone like that. Um, when I went to college, I moved, I went to a college in Essex, which is now outside of London. Uh, so it was a bit far from my house. I went there. I just wanted to do something different, to be honest. And um, but there, it's a completely different demographic. So Leytonstone was very, very multicultural. Like, I guess you find a lot of low-income areas where it's very multicultural. So my school was very mixed. Like, nice. Uh, so yeah. how often do you see people of color in your, in, your, in your school? Like a lot? Oh, loads. Yeah, loads. Pro pro predominantly, probably even. <laughs> oh, nice. The school, the school was very mixed. So yeah, uh, black, Asian, all sorts of um, cultures, Asian, um, then you got white English as well, but it was all sorts of different cultures. It was, I really liked it. It was really cool like that. You get exposure to so many different cultures. And I think that's so important as well, because when you talk, when we talk about things like, um, like racism and prejudice mm -hmm. or whatnot, I think a lot of people um, think so, think like that. They've never had any exposure to anyone else other than people who look like themselves. So anybody that looks like something different is automatically whatever nonsense or lies they've been fed through the media or whatever they or they've just seen or around or heard or whatever they just believe it automatically they don't they've never interacted with a black person or an asian person or anything like that so they just believe oh, this person's the enemy this person's this this person's that blah, blah, blah. but growing up where i grew up we had people from all sorts of different cultures all sorts of different backgrounds were um, in it's my amazing. school i find it amazing it was really good yes. so as far as as far as history, I mean, as far as history and specifically, like, how much history as a Black Briton would you say you learn at school? Mm, not enough at all, at all. Like in school, one thing I'm not a fan of things like Black History Month. So in the US, I think you guys have it in February. Yeah, I think in February. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, we have Black it in October. Yeah, we, we have just, it in October. Um, in, in, in the UK, I don't know why. I think the whole world has it in February and we have it in October, so I'm not too sure why that's happened. But um, And in the UK as well, um, I believe, I'm very strongly believe, I might be slightly wrong, but I believe that. So in the US, for example, and some other countries, Black History Month is a mandated sort of, it's an official, let's say it's an official month, where so in school, you go, the schools will teach it as part of like the official curriculum. Whereas in the UK, Black History Month is not an officially recognised month. So... Um, if schools go and teach black history, it's up to them basically. And I think there's no set sort of agenda or set curriculum to teach children. Um, so I'm not a fan of that, but I'm also just not a fan of Black History Month in general, really. I get, I get Tom, it. Can you elaborate a little more about that? Yeah, I get it in merit. Like, mm -hmm. cool, okay, we need to learn black history. But I sort of feel now it just saw others, black people, puts them in another category. And it's sort of like black people haven't contributed anything to the history or it's sort of like because black people have contributed to all British history from mm -hmm. 
Don't. I think so, I think I think blacks uh, in general have contributed. Like they have built the world. If you think about it. Yeah. So if that's the case, then why do we have like a one month for black? It's just history. You know what I'm saying? It's, just, it's literally just it's history. It just incorporates. Oh, so you feel curriculum. so you feel that by adding by just talking about it one month is kind of like isolating the, the fact in, instead of generalizing it in the curriculum and talk about it all the time. Yeah, I think by put, isolating it to one month, it sort of others them. It's like other black people put them into a category. You give them uh, a month just because it's under the right thing to do or whatever. Um, but it really, I think it undermines it undermines black people's contribution. Um, I see your to, point. So you see, like, if we, if, if we make it more normal and, you know, just talk about it, don't make it like it's something that it has to be done this month for this community, because Blacks are part of the entire community, the entire country. It's like we, we're supposed to have it at the entire time, not just this specific date, just to yeah, honor it's, that. It's, it's just history, because we don't have any other history. We don't have, like, why history month or something like that but you know what happened you know what happened tevin that i don't know if this there is a shame i i I honestly don't know and i'm here to learn again everybody who's listening to me i am in this journey uh to learn you know and every every day is you know it's a learning experience and i will make mistakes and i will probably come out saying things like my rub people the wrong way but just the intention behind it just everybody knows that is in the best place but i feel that there is a shame on sharing the atrocities that happen with the community to the point that people try to forget but that's my personal opinion it's like people have tried throughout the years and centuries and you know it's kind of like yes i acknowledge it happened i'm sorry but i wouldn't want to talk about it you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know it happened. It was horrible. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's really hard. But are we really healing when we do that? You know what I mean? As, uh, opposed, yeah. of, as opposed to, you know, this happened. So let's talk about it. So everybody know that it's happening. So it will never happen again. You know what I mean? Let's expose of these leashes, living, these cancer cells live in our history. Let's expose them. So we know that they're there. So it will never happen. Because as, as a community in general, we can allow this to happen ever again. Yeah. And, and I will never be... Oh my God. I will never will stop saying this. But um, I get it. And I feel that um, it should be brought up more uh, in schools, but not in a surface way. It, sh- it should uh, be, uh, you know, intensify and, and make sure that it's learned just the same way we learn about, Chris- you know, Christopher Colombo and, and yeah. you know, in the Americas and the Queen and the whole the mess with the Italians and the wars and this and, and World War One and World War Two and we are so, you know what I mean? And the independence of this and when we, you know, all of this, you know, all of this. So we should know too, like when the most atrocious things happen, why they happened 
where the resources came from, how we took this community, uh, what it happened to this, what it happened to not only African-Americans, in my case, or Africans in general, you know, talking to somebody who's North American, Africa people, Blacks in general. I, a lot of people don't like to use that word Black. You know, I was just mm-hmm. the other day, me and my, and my boyfriend, we were like sitting down at dinner and, I, and we were just talking about, uh, it was breakfast actually, and we were just talking about something. And I, I was talking about a, a bear, a black bear, and a black bear attack something like that. And I say black, and the lady looked at me. And it's like, why are we uncomfortable when we hear, right? It's, it's, it's so funny. But I, I feel that, yes, we need to know exactly what all of this happens to all of our black folks around the world so we don't allow this to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not in a sense of dwelling on something. It's in a sense of healing and acknowledge something and not isolating an event, but make you literally have to like almost, I mean, for you to heal and overcome that, you, you almost have to leave it, right? Yeah, yeah. Learn it and feel it so much that you live through it, that you don't ever allow it to happen again. It's, it's interesting when you talk about the um, people wanting to erase that part of history. So that's very, <clears throat> sorry, that's very like, topical in the UK right now. So there's been a, f- a few things like, for example, I don't know if you, it would have spread overseas like that, but there was during the Black Lives Matter protests in the UK, mm-hmm. there's a statue in a city, a city called Bristol, which is sort of like in the west of England. I think, um, I think I know it, it got, it got t- uh, turned down or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got turned down. The backstory behind that is that apparently the residents, or just, uh, just to even elaborate a bit, of, if you don't, if people listen, they don't know what that was. So there was a statue of a man called Edward, Edward Coulson in Bristol, and he was a slaver, basically. I don't know why his statue was up. I don't really understand the history behind it like that. But um, apparently people in Bristol had been campaigning for a long time to get that statue removed because of what he stood for. Um, you know, and then you know, they all campaigning, trying to do it the peaceful way or the right way. Mm-hmm. etc um and nothing was happening then during the black lives matter protests um some people came and tore it down and threw the statue in the river funny enough it was the four people who got and they went to court and everything like that and they got found not guilty the four people who got found not guilty were four white people funny enough actually four white people took down the statue and threw the statue in the water now that's an example of the uk very generally speaking that not trying to have that conversation about slavery slavery or colonialism or anything like that um but it's been um how to put it it's, it's about by the uk or you know trying to not have that conversation it's been amplified even more because people want to talk about this people at least want it to be acknowledged um when uk is trying to like no no okay or even just the western world in general like no no we don't want to talk about it, blah, 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 etc um just let's just move on and forget about it you got like British national heroes, like someone like Winston Churchill, who he's a massive British national hero and cool, whatever. And because he's won World War Two for the UK, such whatever, blah blah blah. Um, but he was a racist, like a, a staunch racist, and um, he said all sorts of crazy stuff. Again, that's the debate that people have been. I've heard people trying to have that debate. Um, black people, people of colour, even white people who are bringing up what he stood for and whether the UK should celebrate him because of what he stood for. But that kind of a conversation always gets shut down again 
Oh no, back then I've heard a lot all sorts of Fox, things. A lot of folks uh, claim, and this is just things that I hear and did hear, you know, through mm. and this whole movement of Black Lives Matter that brought a lot of awareness of things that we just, you know, probably we knew, but we didn't know how sensitive they were. And 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 these statues came very popular back then. So some folks will say that, oh, it's part of our history, part of our history. And some other folks will be like, yeah, but there's an idealizing something or somebody that was so cruel to a community. So um, I get it. And I um, have to, you know, start, uh, just it kind of like in the same line, but with a different connotation. Uh, I would have to mention when I first moved here to the United States, you know, I am from, uh, just to let you know, I'm from Cartagena, Colombia. And for those who don't know, that was the number one port of slaves mm. in the Americas, you know? So they will go and they, whatever, whoever survived in the South, you know, South America, it will brought to Cartagena. They will clean you know, and sold there to other wow. ports. So uh, I live in the Caribbean. So we had a lot of gold and we have a lot of, you know, slaves trade over there. And we also have a lot of pirates coming, you know, attacking our city. We actually end up building a wall that, um, to protect from pirates attacks. So one of those pirates was Sir Francis Drake. Um, he was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you hear about him. He was a savage. He was a cruel, savage human. It was awful. And mm. big surprise of my world. Everybody knew that he was a complete savage. Like, he's like, patronizing somebody who's just like, oof. So big surprise, many, many years later, here I am driving in California. And I look at the exit and it's like, Sir Francis Drake exit. And like, what is going what? on here <laughs> in America? Wow. What happened? No, no, it gets better. So I'm in a very, you know, well-off community in California, just driving around, and I look to the side, Sir Francis Drake School. Wow. <laughs> and my, my stomach sunk, and I'm like, what? Like, am I, where, where am I right now? <laughs> mm. In what world am I? So um, eventually, the exit still exists, and, but the school eventually throughout the years, uh, the name got changed because I think that the same thing that I was thinking, other parents were thinking or realized at the moment. And now the school, I don't even know what is the name of the school now, but going back to the same thing, it's like, why are we idealizing people, events that happen with people with such horrible intentions? Like, aren't we supposed to be looking after the things that makes us better, that, you know, people that actually did amazing things and, and grew from that, you know what I mean? And acknowledge those people, yes. You know, we have to acknowledge, going back to yes, you know, it was done. We have to acknowledge 
but I wouldn't, it's like, it's like me having a huge, you know, I completely against racism and everything, all barbarians done in, the, in that name. It's like me having a huge statue of Hitler in my living room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that odd? That's yeah. the way I kind of look at it. And I think we need to, you know, we need to find a common ground when, where we can acknowledge history, but also acknowledge what was done and learn from that, but also idealize the good people that came here to save or to do something good and acknowledge those who didn't, but don't idealize them. We don't need to, you know, have them standing out in the middle of our living room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a thing yeah. that, and a lot of people are, you know, against it, but you know, we're here to live and to learn. And maybe, mm. you know, our upcoming generations um, are going to see and are going to do much better because if, I've, you know, as, as the years are, you know, continue to progress, we see that things have changed. You know, now we are able to be, you know, hanging out with all together. Now we have interracial couples. Mm. Now we have... Uh, interracial communities you know everybody living in in one space and now we don't have label bathrooms mm. or sit in the back of the bus because you know because you're black yeah you know or or you know you stay outside of my my house because you're hispanic so you mm. have to be over there in the back you can enter through the door you have to enter to the back you know we have come mm. a long way and i'm hopeful that you can improve and, and make, you know, each other better every day. So now going back to thousand black voices. So as a person who works in the field of finance, because yes, ladies and gentlemen, he, is, he works in finance, completely different. So it's like me, I work in behavior and here I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like you never know where you're going to end up. So mm. as a person who works in the field of finance, what brought you to the world of podcasting? So, okay, that's a good question um, because it does seem like there's no link. But to answer that, I have to take <laughs> it back a little bit and explain a bit about myself and what I've always seen myself doing. Yes, um, please. So in, uh, throughout my life growing up, um, you know, I wanted, when I'm trying to figure out what I want to do career-wise, it's always been that I wanted to do something that had a positive impact on some other people in some way, shape or form. Um, when it comes to uh, black people, my, I've always, you know, been interested because in, I can see, I, I live in my area I've grown up and I can literally just see what it's like and how things can be improved. And on top of that, when I read about some of these, some of these historical figures and some of the amazing things that they've done in their, in their times, um, you know, like the, the common examples would be like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, etc. Um, and you read them, you get inspired and they're like, wow, okay. So I can see what's happening in my area. I read about some of the people who have done some amazing things and I've realized, okay, I want to do something like that myself and have a positive impact. Uh, I originally thought I wanted to be a doctor. I feel that I was still encouraged. My parents pushed me that way and I just Convince yourself that's what I want to do. You don't get but, scared with blood <laughs> and you're not going to pass out if somebody shows a needle at you. 
I don't, I don't even like blood. So, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't even know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> but that's what I thought I wanted to do. But it, again, I wanted to do it because I felt like, okay, I'm going to make a positive impact doing that. Yes. But then I went and done some work experience in a GP. Again, I don't even know what you call it in the US, GP. I don't know if you call it the same thing. Um, but it's like a little community health center sort of thing. Um, mm, no, yeah. no. I, oh, I don't okay. know. Well, you know, I've only been here for 16 years, so... <laughs> you have a lot to learn <laughs> cool. well maybe it's a british thing i don't know but the gp so it's the, it's called general practitioner sort of like a community health center um like so, it, like the, your first studies it's uh, like no, your uh, like your bachelor's like your first i've done work experience there so oh, this okay. was just like two weeks of work experience and then after okay, that okay, i just okay. decided after that I decided okay i don't want to do medicine anymore because it's just it's just not for me and I, my thinking is much more expansive in the terms of i know medicine you can do what you got to do we can help one person at a time but i'm more expansive so i want to be able to impact as many people as possible in the best possible way um so i've left that and then i've decided okay i want to become an entrepreneur so i started up a business uh, back in 2014 ran it just for two years um mm -hmm. and that was a uh, men's fashion retailer selling ethically made fashion from independent designers so the idea behind that again was, okay, we're going to make, you know, promote. Are you targeting only black designers or you targeting or you expanding to everybody who's, uh, who's, who's welcome to, to bring an idea? That one, that one, anyone, anyone that wanted okay. to, to do it. Um, so we had uh, 10 designers um, mm -hmm. by the time we closed. It's all independent designers. So there's, first of all, people who weren't able to, they're independent. They're not able to get into the big stores or whatnot, but they've got cool, unique designs. We're going to help you get a break. So we'll sell your stuff on our website. It had to be ethically made so nobody's been exploited um, in the manufacturing of the clothing. And the idea behind that was to move the manufacturing, to start up our own label as well, and then move the manufacturing to Africa. So that's what I was thinking, okay, that's how we're going to positively impact things. Um, but I was young. You, you, will bring, you will bring those jobs there and then you Basically, will... Basically, yeah. So you will help. Yeah, that's actually great. So you will help yeah. the community that you will grow up in, the community that you are you know ethnically linked to yeah yeah i mean that, that was the idea uh but it was more i was young and it was more difficult than i thought so <laughs> so that business closed after a couple of years but i learned a hell of a lot from that so after that um i'm still wanting to do something that okay i'm going to start do a positive impact of some sort and but then you know i need the job so just sort of going to basically i went back to uni done a master's going to finance so i'm working in finance now um but along the way, so I've, I've just had this idea because where A Thousand Witches came from now was the fact that I felt that media representation of black people, first of all, was not great. I didn't think it was very good in the UK specifically. So an example is one of my younger brothers. He went to this place. It's a very rural sort of country, a place called Cornwall in mm -hmm. the UK. It's like in the southwest of the UK, mm -hmm. well outside of London. So he went there years ago. And there's a bunch of boys, all white boys they were scared of him and his friends because they originally thought that he, they were gangsters. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, later on, they came out and said, oh, we thought you guys were in gang, blah, 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 blah. Wow. Now I'm thinking of that. Based on the color of one's skin. Wow. Literally. Because why else would you think that? Like, they've, <laughs> they've never yeah. met other black people around there. Why, based why was that on the, the color of one's thought? skin. Somebody can be scared of you based on the color of your skin. How... Crazy, crazy is that to sound How, right no, for real it's like, like what, me what? judge it's like somebody judging me because i i have different color hair wow you know 
And it, it's like, what, what have you been listening to? What have you been watching? Why do you, would you even think that if you've never even met a black person in your whole life? How did he so feel? Um, I don't know. I think he sort of just took it on the chin, but like it's, it's sort of to be expected in a way. You know that, 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 that you said, that, that you just said right there, he just took it in the chin. And that's exactly what minorities and everybody that have encountered these type of energies have, have they, I've taken. Like, I'm just going to take it to, I'm going to take it in the chin. I'm just going to let it pass by. Isn't that okay? Yeah, Is oh, okay? it's not good. It's, 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 not, it's not good. It's, I guess it's just sort of the way people have been conditioned to do stuff. I can't speak for everyone. We need to, yeah, we what? need to educate. I think, I think it's our duty when we come, when we encounter this in a most elegant way, because I am completely against violence and rudeness. But I think that we can put ourselves in the most elegant way and we should educate people. We should educate, yeah. like, you shouldn't be afraid of me because I speak different than you. We should, we should definitely educate people. I think education is very, very key, in fact. Yeah. Um, and that's something I wanted to do. Well, that's sort of, in a way, some of the thinking around Thousand Voices was like, first things first, I want to be able to put out some positive voices out there, positive um, Black British people who are successful in doing whatever they're doing across a diverse spectrum of different industries to let people know that not all black people are gangsters not all black people there's not all black people that we come in all different shapes and forms and sizes and end of the day we're human beings like everybody else um there's no need for you to be scared or cross the road or think wherever when you see or hear a black person um so that's one of my thinking i want to just promote that positivity i feel like in the media very generally speaking this is way too negative anyways um there's not enough positive representation when we see black people on screen we see them in a few narrowly defined sort of industry like you see you know music and sports and you know some representation maybe here and there but it isn't enough positive representation um and i wanted to do something to challenge that and to change that so highlight some positive people who are doing whatever they're doing in whatever industry they're in and just let them share their stories so that was one part of my thinking so that was brought that's what brought you uh to podcast and just being out and aware and and catching as much as ears and as much minds possible so that's what brought you to podcasting so would you say that that what what uh, it, it, in terms of motivation do you think that that the urge of your community or this the uh scene where you were seeing an experience i'm sure experiences a you know, no pleasant experience, having no pleasant experience. Do you think that motivated, motivated a thousand voices? Um, I think definitely my own experience has definitely played a part um, in a thousand voices. Yeah, I've had all sorts of experiences. I mean, like, so I grew up, where I grew up, it was multicultural. Mm -hmm. um, when I've stepped outside of my area and gone to college, for example, in Essex, which is outside London, mm -hmm. I've had, you know, I've, I've had it all. Like, I've had... To, my first week in college, I've had um, racial slurs shouted at me. Um, I felt very uncomfortable. You know, when you just work, walk onto buses and you're the only black person in the bus, and then you kind of feel everybody stops and is looking at you. And you just feel really uncomfortable. Um, I've even spoken with other white people, and they've told me openly, not nothing from them, but they've told me their parents are, or their grandparents are racist and don't let black people. And these are just what I'm hearing literally from other people who are my age in school. Um, which is nuts. I've been to other cities in the UK. I went to a city called Portsmouth, again, this outside London. Um, and then I'm, I'm walking down the road and I'm hearing someone shout monkey or something, monkey. 
and I look back and then they, they're running away again. It's never to my face because people wow. do that usually very cowardly. Um, but, you know, you, you get, you hear, you hear all this kind of stuff, you experience all this kind of stuff. Um, and on one hand, you get angry and rightly so, because that's, that's crazy ignorance, you know. Um, and what gives someone the right to do that? I don't go around doing that to anybody else. And it's, it's not nice to, you know, to feel like that or to have, you, I mean, just just the amount of closeness and, and ignorance. It, so when somebody like shot at me, it's so funny because you say monkey, because um, I love bananas. So there is an inside <laughs> joke for me, and then somebody called me little monkey because I love bananas. So so uh, it's I find it cute, but uh, can just imagine a sense of offending somebody. Just think. I mean, the when I hear this, it's like how sad that you have to throw a slur like that. Like that tells me that you haven't lived that little community that you grew up with. And you're so sheltered and so closed off that you have not seen that there is a huge world out there. Like, have yeah. you ever been in, into an airport? Like ever? Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, the, when somebody says something like that, I'm like, culture is that how sad is that that you haven't had the opportunity to experience the world as it is the real world that you get so triggered by the color of my skin by the thickness of my nose by the voluptuous of my lips by the texture of my hair something so silly like that tells me right there that you have have you stepped on the airport before honey that's the first thing that I, I think, like how sad, because when that, when you are super sheltered and you haven't seen anything other than everybody looking the same, you know, it's like me, everybody yeah. looking the same, everybody looking the same, everybody talking yeah. the same. So that is like a culture. So when, when I, when I, I remember myself being in Tiananmen Square in China and, um, I, it, it, you know, from the minute that I just put food in China, it was just like everybody by like, taking pictures and taking pictures and taking pictures and, and looking at you and staring at you. People are even daring to touch my hair or touch me. And I am not even, you know, yeah. I'm Hispanic, but I am from a different community. So I'm dark. You know what I mean? So it's like people are just looking at me. And I remember being in Tiananmen Square. And then this a small lady, because they're super small and I'm tall, I'm five nine. So this is a small little lady and she's like taking pictures and taking pictures and selfies. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so, so I looked at her and I yelled at her. It's like, leave me alone. This is so rude. Like, give me my space. Yeah, I was, yeah. It was so irritated for me. And then the tour guy uh, shook her out and then he explained it to me. He said, I'm so sorry, Tootie, but these people are here also um, because we were um, in, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a, a huge um, a tourist a place to visit. So these people are here from the rural areas visiting also, and they've never seen people like this. So then I was just like, whoa, okay, still annoying, but at least I understand. So it's not that they are trying to be rude, they're just being ignorant. And sometimes ignorance can be bliss, right? So yeah, yeah. when I see this type of behaviors, when somebody throws the word, the N word, or somebody, you know, 
throws a banana when you see in the soccer field sometimes in those european i like soccer so in these european uh, tournaments you know somebody throws a banana at, at, at a player or, or says such a you know lame seem to say like you know slur like monkey you know what i mean i immediately i go back to i feel sorry for you you're in culture you haven't mm -hmm. had exposure are you okay yeah. Yeah. Like we can, we can go, what we can do, we can open a, a GoFund page for you and then just mm. put you in a plane and let you enjoy yeah. the world. So you can change to, you can change the vision. You can see actually what's going on. Very sad. And I'm so sorry that you, yeah. that you felt that and that you, and it's also very threatening, you know, because yeah. when somebody is fearful of you, you know, they go into defend mechanism for reasons. I don't know why they have to defend, you know, defend themselves from you, but that's the part that it scares me, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. when somebody uh, don't know something, they tend to attack it. Yeah. 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 You know, and just to add on actually, so when we talk um, on the ignorance side of things, definitely ignorance definitely plays a part in any kind of prejudice or racism. Um, I feel that you get to a certain stage now because I think when you're young, cool, whatever, um, you get to a certain stage and maybe culture plays a part in it, but you, you can't, in, there's, no, there's no way, shape or form that's ever right to go and infringe on someone's space and touch their body or touch their hair, whatever. It's not for you to touch. They haven't given you permission. Yeah. And it gets to a stage now where it's like, ignorance is bliss when you're a child, cool. When you're an adult now, I think that, people purposely choose to be ignorant maybe because they don't care enough to look into something called a lack of comp like a compassion and empathy like a, a massive lack of compassion and empathy because i might not understand someone else's culture and i could be ignorant to it it doesn't mean i'm gonna go and i don't know do something stupid and shout out some kind of slur or whatever that's 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 it, it goes past ignorance now it just you're, you're, you're not even a nice person there's you know and i think so ignorance is bliss to a degree I don't think um, people should be allowed to get away with massively overt forms of racism as well. It's not fair on the person that's experiencing it. Because um, some people, it's like it's that constant, constant attack, constant trauma, always being attacked, always feeling like you're um, being stigmatized or whatever because of the color of your skin. And it sounds so crazy. And it's not fair. So we can't now have the, the perpetrator or the attacker and be like, oh no, they're ignorant. They don't, they're, it does it's okay because they're ignorant but then the person that's suffering from it is having to suffer from that over and over and over again but then we, we say you know they were ignorant so it's okay but i don't think that's fair so um whoever i think yeah if you're doing whatever you're doing and being racist being prejudiced you have to suffer some sort of some some sort of a consequence i do also believe they have to give room for people to grow so they can do say whatever consequences i don't know I don't know, let's say it's in a workplace, for example, you lose your job, okay. But you give people room to grow because people evolve and grow over time. So mm -hmm. they can suffer the, con the immediate consequence, help the person that's been attacked or abused, and then educate that person so that over time they don't go around doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and also, I think racism is a learned behavior anyways. <clears throat> if we look at children, children are like the purest purest most lovely form of humans you know we come yeah. out and we're just happy all the time children are happy they want to make friends with everybody you know they they wear their heart on their sleeve they tell you what they think what they feel everything yeah. like that. they're so pure you know yeah. 
and kids don't look at other kids and be like, oh, that kid's another color. They, they don't care. It doesn't even they register. Don't care. It doesn't, it, it doesn't they register. just want to play. That's it. That's it. And then over time, you have that same child now can be like the most lovely child ever. And then 20, 30 years later, they're like a, a racist. What's mm. happened in between? They've learned that behavior from somewhere. Is it from family, from their society, from friends, from TV, from what? They've learned it somewhere along the line. And we've got to cut that out. grew up with. It's very sad. It's very, yeah. very sad that we're being conditioned to such a, a horrible behavior. It's, yeah. it's super sad. And it's, it's up to us. I think it's our job as the generation standing, not the one that we left behind. That generation, I'm sorry, baby bloomers, or, you know, <laughs> after that, before that, you know what I mean? But you guys, you know what I mean, are questionable in some other choices, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so I think it's, it's up to, you know, the generation standing and the ones ahead to realize. And I think, you know, I have a lot of faith, you know, uh, that things are, are improve more and more and more and continue to improve. Like, uh, I, you know, I hate when people say like, you know, we have made such a long way because the, the, if we are sincere into ourselves that we shouldn't make a wrong, we, should have, we shouldn't have made a long way. We should have been doing the right thing from the get-go. You know what I mean? But I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. And I will, you know, think positive and just say that we have to take care of the damage, the victims, and we also the perpetrators, you know, educate yeah. them, expose them, let them leave. And I feel that, you know, I feel that it should be penalized. I mean, I, I honestly feel that racism, it should be penalized in a way that it hurts in a way that allows you to not do it again. For example, you know, if you, if you go to the stove, you put your hand in the burner, you're going to get burned. But yeah. what are you learning? You're learning not to do it again because it yeah. hurts, right? <laughs> so I, I, sh I think that should be penalized. And the, the, I think that the best way to do it, it would be like exposing, you know what I mean? You need to work for these communities now. You need to, mm -hmm. you know, you need to work and you need to, you need some, you need to rub yourself in with the ones that you have been attacking. Yeah. And yeah. so you can understand and you can realize the humanity behind it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think uh, when you make people aware of something, it's the only way that they can learn. You know what I mean? But, you know, we have to get all our leaders together and, you know, and in sync. And I think there's, there's a lot also. I feel that there's a lot uh, that plays along the way for our leaders. I think uh, the concept of everybody being in peace and happy is, is not profitable. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel that, um, you know, just there's a lot a lot of moving pieces to that. But um, I feel that we have, you know, we have some hope. Hopefully we have some hope. So going, continue talking about a thousand voices. So you could pick 50 or a hundred. Why did you choose to decide to talk to a thousand voices? 
So I went for a thousand. I just wanted a, a number that sounded aspirational because you can pick like a 50, you can do a hundred, 200 and COVID, but with the thousand, you know, the, when I, when I, I guess the first thing I felt that people might ask, and I can't remember if anybody asked me directly, but is there a thousand black successful Britons that you can talk to? Is there? So my thing is, well, let's find out. Let's, I let's think go, let's go way and more than that. Let's go and do it. But I think it's, it's more of an impactful number than like a yes. 50 or 100 or something like that. And um, I think as well, as we're on the journey towards 1,000 and we're getting closer and closer to that 1,000, it's going to take a while, of course, but as we're getting closer to the number, um, it, even that in of itself is inspiring because people will be like, wow, I didn't know that there were 500, 600, 700 successful black people. And across so many different industries not just in sports or music but in i don't know science or whatever any kind of obscure field so i just felt the number in of itself was quite aspirational and wanted to go for that it's so fun that you say a thousand black uh, britons and entrepreneurs because um i have um i have this idea of you know the preconceived idea of hispanics you know um it's like, you know, they, uh, the immigrants were here in the U.S. It's like the immigrants, they're undocumented. They, uh, it, it's, it's the lady that cleans my house. It's the lady that, he's the guy that does my, you know, my garden. But people are unaware or, you know, the, the power and that there is behind a whole entire community. And yes, it's, I always have this idea of actually putting and exposing all of that, that, you know, Hispanics are not all undocumented, that they are not all, you know, cleaning the houses and cleaning the yard. So uh, I thought that was cool. So you are, you want to bring light, a positive light to a community that, you know, is, uh, doesn't have the, like the best exposure experiences around the world. It's so unfortunately. So what is your perception of black Britons in the UK? Ooh, uh, that's, that's a how do I answer that? A perception <laughs> of black Britons. It's um, I feel that I, I mean I feel black Britons where first and foremost we're normal people. Um, we're not necessarily like a separate other sort of group of people. Um, but we are a group of people that are disadvantaged in quite a few ways so whether that's well economically i suppose the major one um but disadvantage in a number of different ways like if we're looking at stats in the uk from uh prison incarceration rates to arrest rates to stop and search rates to school exclusions to uh, i don't know all sorts of things um economically so all sorts of things disadvantaged in quite a few different ways which makes it more difficult um for the majority of black Britons against their peers moving forward because it's not like we start on the same level playing field um and i've felt some of the disadvantages on a personal level i know quite a few people personally I mean, where i grew up and you feel these things i mean um there were stages where i was getting stopped by police every day without fail whenever i go out um for all sorts of random stuff just because they assume i've done something or sometimes nothing's even been done they're just stopping us and then frisking us up against the wall and that kind of thing and then wow. you know and that the, the growing up like that it leads to like a massive sense of distrust between um 
the black community or people who have grown up like that and authority you know you feel like police yeah 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 whether it's authority whether it's police whether it's teachers and education or whatever because it's like authority don't trust or treat us like, like humans basically you know, or don't treat us the way that they'll treat other people other groups um so i think that um black britain's very and obviously it's a generalization everyone has their own experience but very generally speaking um are disadvantaged people but a very positive people um a resilient people and when i say resilient i'm not always a major fan of the word because i don't like it in a sense where it's like um you know suffer suffer but keep pushing on and pushing on um because i don't think that's right but resilient in a sense but that people have um lived how they've lived and gone through it they've gone through had all sorts of disadvantages now and historically but still continue to rise and succeed in whatever we're doing and i've been speaking with some people like that on the podcast who some of them have had very crazy personal circumstances on top of societal circumstances which would make it difficult mm. very crazy personal circumstances but i've still managed to overcome and succeed like people who have been kicked out of schools and are now going into schools to teach them how to teach their students for example people who have been abused and are now doing um going out and inspiring thousands and thousands of other people um with their work and through their story so um yeah i think that we're you know very very positive and happy you know very positive people um resilient people and um yeah we rise above you know challenges and disadvantages that we have. now that you're talking about that i have this question it's a little deep it's gonna get a little deep over here okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. One of your missions I saw was to cultivate more Black Britons entrepreneurs. Could you elaborate on why you feel that it's so important entrepreneurship within yeah, the Black so, community? I think entrepreneurship is. Um, so I decided I wanted to become an entrepreneur when I was 18 years old. So I read Richard Branson, uh, if you know the entrepreneur, he's a British entrepreneur. I read his autobiography. Um, and that's when I decided, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I think I want to be an entrepreneur. And <clears throat> I feel entrepreneur is. Uh, one leads to um, can lead to massive wealth creation and two is literally a ticket to freedom um, and that's how I look at entrepreneurship you live life in your own terms you do things and grow and create and do things how you want to do it and um, when we're talking about wealth creation so in the UK I can't remember the stats off the top of my head but it's the same all over the world anyways in terms of wealth gaps and inequalities between black britons or even black britons working class britons and white britons basically massive wealth gap so what are the numbers like um so i think forgotten them but like it would be like the average black african or black caribbean family would own or have wealth of let's say i don't know 5k or something like that the average white family in the uk will have like 200k something random like that like it's a massive wealth gap um and with these massive wealth gaps at least to knock-on effects now because now black people growing up in the uk a lot of people black people in the uk might be first or second generation a lot of them and a lot of us and what happens is that okay we come we work we get jobs and everything like that we generate some money but then now we have to look after our parents because our parents um and through no fault of their own a lot of them come over to make a better life but they don't have 
that wealth sort of um, blanket to fall back on, like some of our peers would. So we have to give to our parents. And then it's like a cycle now because we're not necessarily, we're getting better, I guess, but we're not um, increasing our money or increasing our wealth at the same rate other communities who don't have to worry about that kind of thing are. And it just leads to widening wealth gaps, which isn't good. Um, and I felt that entrepreneurship is a way to close, close those gaps. So instead of working <clears throat> the same nine to fives, <clears throat> sorry, instead of working the same nine to fives and earning the same paychecks or whatever, why don't we go out and create our own businesses? And on top of that, so I think it's a massive way in which we can reduce wealth gaps. And on top of that, I feel that we literally just need more rep black representation across all sorts of different industries. So like there was a period where I used to have long hair. Not, not even that long ago, a few years ago, I had locks. Um, I've cut them now, as you can see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have, a, you I, have a, a very nice haircut. I would have never imagined that you had long hair before. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did a few years ago. Uh, when I had the locks, what I was always trying to do was to shop from black-owned businesses to get a lot of hair products and that. But it was difficult. Just um, because, I mean, there was some online. Um, but I, want, I wanted to go to the physical store just to, you know, talk to people and find out what works for you and that kind of thing. I was new to the game. I, I didn't know. <laughs> I wanted to go to the shop. But it was difficult to find shops like that, you know. Um, there wasn't enough. There was one I used to go to, but it was a bit of a far drive away to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just that one example. I don't feel like we have enough representation um, across all sorts of different industries where people who look like us and sound like us and come from the same sort of um, areas that we've grown up in um own enough of these sorts of institutions that we can walk into and feel at home and um you know shopping basically um there's all these sorts of stats where like um again i don't know the stats off to my head but all these stats where in let's say the white community a pound circles x amount of times if asian communities in the uk anyway i think it was like 17 18 times um i think indian kings i might be wrong but 17 18 times that they're spending in their own shop and they circulate that wealth within their own communities um whereas with black communities it essentially it just comes in and comes out it doesn't circulate whatsoever but i think a big part of that is because there isn't enough black businesses out there for us to even go to shopping that for me my hair yeah, for, for our needs I, I totally get it like um i have dark skin for for instance you know what i mean and dark skin tends to get really dry right so the moisturizer that i use <laughs> is completely different than the moisturizer that uh, like a fair person will use right like the skin you know your your, your lotion is completely different i i noticed that that i it's really challenging for me so i usually have to buy like online or you know this you know uh, particular stores to get it because it's, it's not out there on, on the regular public. So I totally get it. And when it comes to like, um, the other day I, I was talking to a friend, he's Asian, you know, have a, a very straight hair and the, it just grows completely different. So not everybody knows how to cut their hair, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was just like, how oh, you have such a nice haircut? What do you, do you went to this place? It's like, no, no, no. I, I go to this lady, you know, she's Asian too. And she's the only one who knows how to cut the hair, his hair. So, you know, little things like that, um, I totally get it because there's, there's not enough when it comes to culture and it's, there's not enough. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a good thing that mm. we are focusing and just bringing more aware of and that go, go, is going back to, you know, taking care of the whole world, right? 
the whole world <laughs> have this different texture of skin, different texture of hair, uh, different eye, you know, so different makeup. It's just, it's, that's the way as the world looks. So we have to attend to the world. I totally get it. <laughs> I'm trying to make sense out of this. Devin. I yeah. hear you, boy. I hear you. So what have you learned about yourself doing this podcast? I've, what have I learned? About I've yourself. Learned, I've learned that. So I've learned how much of a perfectionist I am. Um, and how that's led me to procrastinate oh. <laughs> a, a massive, a massive lot, which it, it really dawned on me more recently. So the podcast is something I've been, I've had the idea for, for a long time, to be honest, I just kept putting it off. I was like, oh, I need to get this equipment. Now. I need to do this. And then I need to practice this. I need to, and I just kept making excuses. Um, and then I don't know, something just kicked in me. I said, okay, I'm just going to do it anyways. But I think what it was is that I just realized over time that uh, this sort of, I was trying to be perfectionist, but it was causing me to procrastinate because essentially I was just scared of failing. I was scared of putting out something out there that wasn't good. And I didn't want people to look but at me. But going back, going back to failing, how, I mean, how do we learn? Well, Seven. <laughs> how well, do we learn? We we learn we learn through our failures. We don't. There you go. But it's you know what, yeah. It's it's easy to say. It just when you put yourself out there publicly, you don't want to. It's the thing, you know. It's the the whole um, the way I you know I look at it. It's like there's no learning if you were not failing. Mm. Only when you fail and you fail hard, when you truly fail hard, it's when you truly learned. You perfection your craft. You perfection yeah. your approach. You lift at your feet. You don't hit yourself back with the same stone. You mm. know that, uh-uh. And then you yeah. learned. And, and, and you turn that failure into an amazing product. And a, and a perfect product. Because you take the time to learn from that. You revise the strategy. And you're like, you know what? I need to do some tricks here and there. But if it, yeah. we if we stay in our minds, you know, we became in jailed in traps. We became slaves of our head. And in behavior, I have this thing with, and I use it a lot with my uh, Tourette's clients. And my saying is like, I control my mind. I control my mind. And I control my body. You know what I mean? So yeah, that yeah. is, is kind of like in a positive way of saying, like, you will do what you put yourself, you know, what you put in yourself. You control your space by controlling your thoughts, by controlling what you, how you operate. And I feeling feeling that you're going to fail is, is, yeah, it's challenging, yeah. but it's also, uh, I, I feel personally, please don't take this wrong, but I feel it also comes because I, I got, I, I done it too, but I feel that when I have done it, it's like, it, it comes from a place of my ego. Like I don't want to look weak to other people. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to look 
untalented. I don't want to look overachiever, you know, is no from a place of humble of like, you know, me looking back, my first podcast, oh my God, it was a disaster. <laughs> me looking back, my, and I air it. I air it, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, oh my God, I'm sorry. My, my co-host is Kevin. So, and I <laughs> so yeah. So, um, but I learned from it, the way you approach your semantics, your vocalization and so and so and so. So I, you know, Spelling is good. It hurts. It humbles you all. But the outcome product of that is, is much better. It's much, much better. So after you do a thousand voices, what else do you want to do after you, after you speak with a thousand Britons? Oh, after that, like, there's, I'm, I'm open. I mean, it's still going to be a while away before we get there. So, I mean, How many people have you talked be... so far? So far, ooh, so far, we've put out seven episodes. Oh, we've okay. got a few, I don't know, right now we've probably got another 10 that I haven't released yet. So <laughs> quite a lot to go. You have <laughs> a journey. You have a journey. Are you yeah. single? Are you dating? Because to, uh, tell them with Tootie, we'll dig everywhere. Are you single? Are you dating? <laughs> are you married? What's going on with you, Tevin? I'm, I'm married. Quite newly married, actually. I got married oh, so congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So you see it there. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, really married. But we, we were seeing each other for, ooh, when did we start seeing each other? Since 20, depends when you count from, because we've got... So young. Oh my God, married at 20, yeah. so young. Well, yeah. who says, like, I was, I got married really early too, and I, I'm divorced. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was married for 15 right. years. Wow. Wow, wow. Okay, I mean, you don't look that old. <laughs> so. Well, there's yeah. a lot of retinol in here. <laughs> <laughs> the retinal does wonders in people, I guess. <laughs> right. No, I, I, um, I just turned thirty-nine. Oh right, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I marry young, but yeah, congratulations! How oh, cool! Thank you. Do you thank do like? You, do you guys you. went to like? Uh, do you do something for um, like um, the trip that you go like? Uh, why oh, that? the honeymoon. The honeymoon, honeymoon. Yes. You know what? actually we're going on honeymoon two months time we we got married and we couldn't go you know it's just difficult to travel and plan with COVID and everything back then uh so we just done the wedding and we went away in the UK to like this spa break place um but we're going away actually to St. Lucia in a couple of months so oh, that's nice. like going to be the proper oh my honeymoon. god yeah, St. Lucia yeah. super amazing I love yeah. you know like water and island it's just i mean it's me like, yeah. like, uh, like i grew <laughs> yeah. up in the caribbean like uh, i'll be damned if i don't yeah. right <laughs> so why yeah. marry so early well i wouldn't say you know why because that's like you know like but compared to here like guys here in america like if you go i live in the bay area i don't know if you mm. have been the bay area have you heard about the I've bay area I've, I've heard about it <laughs> have you heard about the silicon valley boy yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, boy, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yes, I live in the in the Bay Area, so uh, there's no way that you will find a 29 year old guy married. Or I mean, there's no way. Maybe if it's like you know the South, probably the South part of the country, maybe the West. <laughs> yeah. But there's no way. Is it common over there for people to uh, get married? like guys get married not, soon or it's just something that happens not really 
not really to be honest. I feel like most of my friends, you know, most of my, my close friends anyway, I've, out of my close friends, I'm the first one. <laughs> to get oh, nice. Look yeah. at you. So a pioneer. Really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So it's probably the same here as it is over there in the US. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just um in Colombia it's completely different because guys get married super early. Yeah. And they yeah. the over here the concept is like, you know, the way I, what I have seen so far and based on my own experience too, is like they want to achieve as much um, comfort, I would say, yeah. as possible, yeah, yeah. Yeah. as much resources, as much stability, and then, you know, settle down. But the, the thing what I see is like how much is how much? Like how much is enough, I will say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because um in Colombia we live with less, way mm -hmm. less. And and then people are really good at you know finishing whatever they're doing at the same time. It's like there I guess it's a lot, but they, they're doing it and they are super successful about it. And they raise their kids and they get married early and they finish their PhD and everybody's a professional and so and so and so. But here in Council of America like uh metropolitan america i would say so because it's not the same in the south or it's not the same in the small, the small little communities but metropolitan yeah. america you know what i mean i will say that they uh, are very focused in earning as much possible but i i look at this you know these individuals and i'm like but how like how how much is enough you know what i mean mm, mm. for you to feel comfortable because you know you're not looking bad at all but you still yeah. feel insecure of of you know engaging in, in a different lifestyle but you know each to their own and everybody's in their own journey and yeah. you know it's all it's all nice and cool so yeah. congratulations <laughs> Tevin, on you thank on you. your thank um, you your marriage and i wish you nothing but amazing things and as many kids as you guys want <laughs> just remember you. that you have to clean after them for the first oh. <laughs> 15 years of their life so <laughs> you do whatever you want with that information that i just gave you i have one daughter i've learned <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I, this is so amazing just to wrap up this um interview with, with you, Tevin, is, is amazing. Uh, thank you for joining us in Telewix Twitty, for sharing your experience, for sharing your energy, for enlightening us with everything that is going on, for uh, educating me, and I, I love it. And thank you so much, and I hope I'll see you soon. And you know, you know, uh, I would love to keep in contact and see how things are going, and yeah. you are welcome to San Francisco in Colombia anytime, Terry. Oh, definitely, if I'm ever in San Francisco, um, I'll hit you up for sure. Yes, and, um... oh my God, I would love to take you guys out yeah. and show you around, and it's super fun, it's super yeah, fun. Yeah. I, I, I love the Bay Area, it's just, it's, it's a really cool place. Not for yeah. dating. <laughs> well, I am out of the pool and, and thank God, but it was just, just definitely challenging. But thank you so much for joining us and thank you everybody who are listening to Tell Up With Tootie. Um, this was a, a, an episode that I enjoyed very much. I think, you know, I have things like, but I think it's very important for 
us to bring awareness to everything that is going on and enable for us to heal. We have to acknowledge and we have to look forward and learn from our mistakes and exposed all the you know the errors have done throughout the past so we don't allow it to happen again so i love you everybody thank you for listening and remember that you can find us um in all mainstream podcasts apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, radio uh google Podcasts uh amazon music audible everywhere and just look for television and you're gonna see me smiling (laughs) (laughs) have an amazing time guys thank you so much tevin and i wish you nothing but the very very best in your journey Thank you very much, Tutti. Thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed myself this evening or today. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know my morning and your evening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.